I'm can, can you come and help me? I guess I started blackout drinking from the minute I picked up a drink. It was always drinking to get drunk. I never understood the concept of one. What was it about GHB that you liked? So it was a really small investment for a weekend that I barely remember. I have to say that was probably the worst drug that I've ever used because that was the most the one that had the most consequences for me. I end up in people's yep. bedrooms and have no idea how I got there. And I'd end up in hospital and I'd be like, what happened? So I think the more that I used and the bigger the benders got for me, like I think my last bender was a 10 day bender where I didn't sleep. And that was the thing that really pushed me over the edge. Like it was like I was in yep. serious psychosis. I thought I was adopted. You know, all of my friends were conspiring against me. So were my family. It was really scary. The radio was talking to me. Everything was, was it felt like my life was closing in on me. You know, I'm learning how to human yep. now. If anyone says you don't work for the first year in your recovery, I think that's a crock of shit. I'm in the hairdressing industry now, an award-winning salon. The winner of Best Business Newcomer of the Year, sponsored by KMS, is Mama Wear. <laughs> It's kind of everywhere and that's kind of a scary part now because I'm faced, you know, being this woman that's clean in recovery in an industry that's riddled with addiction. You're a passionate person. What's pushed you to kind of go, I want to talk about my story now? Edit it and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, boom. So take two happened right <laughs> at the start. Right as I was saying that she uh, has a bit of get up and go, the accountant calls, which is a good sign of... Uh, <laughs> busy in focus person which is good so yeah. um but how are you mate what's what's happening are you good yeah i'm i'm good i've actually been missing my accountant all week that's how busy my life is at the moment we can't get a hold of each other i'm meeting to meeting and yeah i've just gone from another meeting to this meeting and grateful to be here always grateful to talk about experience um, and recovery and get up and going and living your best life after getting clean because it's been a massive part of my journey in living a life beyond my wildest dreams yep. and, and being here with you. So thank you so much for the opportunity. No worries. No worries. Awesome. So uh, let's, um, we'll, we'll talk about that work stuff in a second, but let's just go right back to the start. Now you don't have to keep it within this time range. It's just a, it's just the, it's just a, uh, what do you call it? Like a, the bumper bars to, yes. um, to, to get people focused, but Give us like the three-minute elevator version of like your story, your relationship to drugs and alcohol, how it happened, where it ended up, what you're yeah. doing now, that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. So, look, I started using drugs at uh, – well, I guess I started blackout drinking from the minute I picked up a drink. It was always drinking to get drunk. I never understood the concept of one. It was always a bottle at a and time. And what age was that? That was at about 14, maybe a little bit earlier than that, Shit. maybe 13. So, yeah, Siggy's picked up Siggy's, yep. like just was trolling and erroring around my parents' party scene and just thought that might be a good idea and would sip the Maduris that were left over from the night before around five or six because I was a bit experimental. Ugh, you know, I know, so <laughs> gross, but that's what you do at that age, isn't it? That normal? I don't know. Apparently it's not very normal, but it was my normal. Um, so yeah, I started yeah, drinking yeah. really early on blackout drinking and when I was an apprentice hairdresser, that's really when things started to escalate for me. I'd spend my whole entire wage on a bag of drugs and have nothing for the week yep. because that's just what I did. And I had no idea that that wasn't normal. I, yeah. So, so, a, so a bag of drugs at that time, what was that? And like, what was it like 
Um, sorry, I'm already fucking interrupting you. What was it like? What was it like the <laughs> progression from the Maduris to like the bag of drugs? Was there any like nervousness there or like fear or anything like that? No, I mean, I like I said, I drank my first drink to get drunk, and I used my first drug like a bag, like a whole bag, spending my whole wage on this, and knowing that that like that's just how I use. I thought that's what people usually do so it's yeah it was yep. it's just that's just how it was it was just from the straight to cocaine that was my first um influence and yep. it just kind of progressively got a little bit like softer from there but then it went really hard beyond that so um <laughs> yeah yeah so i guess i was underage i was going to nightclubs i was surrounded by people that were quite um influential and it was really glamorous in the beginning you know going to the nightclubs at 16 on the weekends after work and I felt like this adult child living her best life but really like inside I was just trying to I think fit into something um, and feel a part of something because growing up I didn't really have that uh, I had a deep sense of loneliness and abandonment and my parents were kind of just there but they weren't there and, and dad wasn't there so that was a huge kind of part of it it's like this lifestyle was really addictive to me because it was a way to kind of feel connected to something that was greater than me and um yeah yeah so uh, by the end um of my using i ended up getting clean at, at 20 but before that you know it was kind of i was you know blowing out i was using ghb it was a really like they call it the date rape drug i had no recollection of what was happening i was getting banned from nightclubs i was overdosing in hospitals i was homeless I was kicked out of home, like I, I was losing jobs at the best salons in Melbourne, like it was kind of, I was losing my friends as well. Everyone's kind of able to admit that they're using was like addictive in nature, but I just had no idea that I was an addict and I was, I thought it was laughable to be honest, because I was like, yeah guys, uh, yeah. I, I'm not an addict, like I'm just, I'm addicted to the yeah. scene and the lifestyle. So yeah, it wasn't until I ended up in a mental health ward that involuntary into the youth youth ward in Footscray that I started to really understand I got a bit of a problem because I ended up there, but I knew I didn't belong there. Right. Yeah. yeah. Really interesting. So when I listen to you, it just sounds, it just sounds like, um, yeah, there was no, yeah, like you said, there was no like in between. It was just kind of like zero to hero explosion. From the life's get a mess, go. Like yeah. very, very quickly. Yeah. Very quick. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, I was lucky to get clean so young at 20, but that's how I started using. There was no progression. It was a bag yeah. spending my whole wage from the get go. The second I had a, you know, snort of cocaine that someone gave me, it was like, that's how I want to live every single weekend. And that's what I want to yep. do. Yeah. Um, so I'm always interested to know, um, uh, because you know, the beauty of hindsight is, is, uh, awesome to be able to go back and, and see that, you know, you felt disconnected and all that stuff. But if you are to like, just kind of teleport back to Sheridan at that age, like, would you have been able to articulate that that no was what was going on? Um, way. And, right. <laughs> no. So you were just like having way. fun and all that stuff. I yeah. honestly believed Jack, I was having the best weekend of my life every weekend and mm. even though like and I, but then i wanted the weekend to last longer 
and longer and longer. So I started using longer than the weekends because I just wanted to feel good all the time. And initially it did feel good until it just didn't feel good anymore. It was like, oh man, the coming down, the not being able to get on, uh, the, you know, filming myself saying, don't do this next weekend, but then doing it anyway, not trying to understand. I had no idea what was going on. I thought it was greater than me, this whole space. I just knew by the end, I'm not meant to be in hospital every second weekend overdosing and I'm not meant to be in an involuntary psych ward in psychosis. Like there was something wrong with that. Yeah. So so um, just for like the timeline, so the first like kind of drugs was 14, 15. When did, when did like, so I know you started using kind of crazily and, and you felt like you were having the time of your life and all that stuff. Um mm which is interesting and we'll talk a bit more about that in a second. But like when you started having those like uh, episodes of psychosis and I guess your external life started to kind of, um, yeah, it was. It, I imagine it was probably like evident in some way that this yeah. isn't right. Like when did that start happening, the psychosis, the hospital visits, you know, the blowing out at, at clubs? Was that towards the yes. end or was that happening right from the start as well? So I have to admit, although I was using pretty hard and heavy from the get-go, it was more binge weekend use. So I had space in between those weekends to kind of get my act together and then go again. So it would be kind of hit and miss. Some weekends would be fun. Some would be blackout. Some would be whatever. But it was probably like I started using drugs around 16. The first, you know, 16 to 18 was kind of fun, but it was probably 18 to 20 in that two-year time frame that things started to like really go downhill um, where, you know, the, the progressive that my, more progressive that my using got in that time and the more that I used, the worse my life started to get and beyond beyond me yeah yeah um so look and it's I, I know it's a bit in depth uh but i just think it'll be interesting for people to listen because it's ironic it's so fucking common like jhb um, yeah but so many people like there's not really that much stuff out there about it i find or not Nothing. as much as like other drugs and ice and and stuff like that so i obviously use that but i i never like used it flat out or anything because mm. it used to freak me out to be honest um yeah it's a scary but what drug. was it about ghb that you liked like what was yeah like what got you going on that <laughs> it look it was the cost it was the cost it was so right. cheap and the way that i was using and drinking i had no money by the end of it so it was a really small investment for um, a weekend that i barely remember but i'd still be absolutely off my trolley and it's something that can be overused and i have to say that was probably the worst drug that i've ever used because that was the most the one that had the most consequences for me. Like I got banned from nightclubs that felt like home and family to me. And that was absolutely destroying. And I would, you know, end up in people's bedrooms and have no idea how I got there. And I'd end up in hospital and I'd be like, what happened? Like I'd have no recollection of what happened, but it was, it wasn't about the feeling, like the feeling, it was never about the feeling. It was probably more about the cost to get the feeling, but it's so easy to lose control with the dosages and um, you can just take that little bit too much especially when you're already cooked and you want to take things to the next level it's just so easy to lose yourself (laughs) yeah yeah 100 percent. and like what is it about that drug because it's kind of confusing to people i think not people that use it but people from the outside is that like (laughs) 
technically, te- technically, it's a downer, but yeah. but the initial part of it or the feeling of it is fucking like Loose. charging. That's what they call it, having to charge. Yeah. Like yeah. you're just kind of up and about. Like it's a weird thing, isn't it? But then yeah, if you have too is. much, you pass out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a real dance. It was a real dance for me and I think the feeling for me was like a looseness I didn't care about anything I could just move and you know they I don't know if you remember the juicy wiggle but it was like it was a thing you could just dance like nobody's business and that's what I loved to do I just loved to dance and and that that's why I would use it because I was in the I was in the nightclubs I was in the scenes it's not something that I would use kind of at home but then I would you know from time to time if I if there was nothing else left but if I was ever using it at home all bets were off you know I would have no idea what was going to happen from there so yeah yeah very interesting and it's funny for everybody listening like hearing you say that I love I love to dance and all that stuff like knowing Sheridan it kind of it makes sense you know what I mean you're a you're a high energetic like bubbly kind of person and, and yeah. that's the other thing I find funny about drugs they they kind of they do they they match people's like personalities in a in a in a way but anyway so before we just kind of talk a little bit about how you made that decision to like stop and what the circumstances were and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I'm always interested to know because as I, as I said before, or maybe I didn't say it, but there's a huge contingent of like the listeners that are parents, family, or people that are still like kind of using drugs. And, yeah. you know, the way that you like think about it um, is very different when you're using drugs to when you're, yeah, when you've been sober for five years or whatever. Um uh, so, so like, if you were to like teleport back, question without notice, it's all right if you're not 100% sure. But as you said, at, in those early days when you were just binging, you felt like you were having the time of your life. But really, it was like damaging and there was consequences happening. Like, Huge. how do you think that you could have been approached or spoken to differently to sort of prevent what it, what happened in the end? Like, or did you, or do you just feel like it's kind of, inevitable that you ended up in that place or do you you wish that there was like um, a different kind of way that people spoke to you or supported you or or just society even kind of spoke about that stage of like drug use yeah yeah absolutely well I mean I'm in the hairdressing industry now so I see that our industry is absolutely riddled with addiction and I think about this now because I am an employer and I employ a lot of people. And you know, yeah. if someone was in my state that I was, I'd be giving them the hard feedback. No one ever gave me the hard feedback. Yeah. There was one salon that fired me and they said to me, <laughs> Sheridan, we go out on the weekends too. We party hard too. But the problem is we don't come to work and we don't roll the, our eyes in the back of our heads while we're doing blow dries. We, we get our shit together and we get on with it. <laughs> That was the feedback. It wasn't, hey, Sheridan, have you thought you've got a problem with drugs? Like I wish someone had just asked me the question because I was in so much denial. I honestly had no idea. Like, and I would get fired from jobs and they wouldn't, like the next one after that, that I got fired from, they fired me because like they didn't have the work, but that's a crock of shit. Like I was showing up to that space straight from revolver, working a full Saturday in my frock and tutu, clearly hadn't slept. Like it was, it was painting, painted on the wall, but no one ever actually kind of held me accountable. And even my parents were like, Mm. you know, they wouldn't. They wouldn't say to me, like, what's going on? Have you got a problem with drugs? Or maybe they did, but maybe I didn't hear it. Like, there was never real 
Yeah. So I think I wish someone had maybe just said, like, do you think you might have a problem? I think that's the best thing you could possibly ask someone. Yeah. That's really interesting because I think about that a lot, you know, um, and yeah, it's it's just that principle of like sometimes the people that, well, I, sh- I shouldn't say it like that because people can love you and just not know how to deal with the situation. But sometimes, well, all the time, the most loving action is not to just kind of be overly um, kind and supportive, even though, you know, you can be compassionate and stuff. But mm. it, it's it's more about, yeah, like having those hard conversations and being honest. You know, that's actually uh, yeah. the thing that helps people the most. And, it, and again, yeah. you don't have to be a fucking asshole when you do that, but you yeah. can do it with compassion and love and support. But yeah, yeah I, I think about that as well. How many, how many people could be stopped in their tracks or at least think about things a little differently and maybe avoid some crazy shit if yeah. people just said something to them at the time? Yeah, my dad <laughs> just changed the locks on me. Like he just changed the locks and that was it. And I was like, what the fuck just happened, you motherfucker? Like he was the problem because he just changed the locks and there was no communication. I went to go home one day and I went to put the key in the door and the locks changed. And I'm like, what, what, like that's my dad who's just changed the locks and hasn't communicated to me why he changed the locks. Like there was never any kind of, you know what? It was this subtle kind of like, or hard boundary, but no communication around why it's happening. So I was like, if anything, I just went on a bigger tangent because I was like, fuck you, dad. Like, I'll fucking show you. Yeah. Like, because it's like this rebellion and this, uh, you know, this self-righteousness and this self-obsession. Like, it's just, it just enhanced all of that for me because I had no idea why he did that. And then he was the problem. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like this weird kind of <laughs> conundrum. It is It is funny. I, like, just as a side note, I think people have probably heard me say this before, but I actually think, like, the government should invest some money. They did it in suicide prevention and it had great mm. results. Um, they they recognised in suicide prevention that it's, it's still good to fund services, but even if people are engaged in a service, A, it's really hard to get people to put their hand up and speak to that service in the first place. So you're probably missing like over 80% of the people that are actually suffering with the issue. And B, Mm. if they are engaged in the service, they're only there for like one hour or two hours a day or or not even or a week or whatever. And the the people that are dealing with people's mental health um, the most are the family members, right? And it's the same with drugs and alcohol. Um, you know, the, the, the people that are encountering it and experiencing it the most are the, are the, um, are the families. And in the suicide prevention, they, they funded all this money into, um, like training and education for family members on how to kind of recognize the warning signs and how to talk to people and all that sort of stuff. And it had great, it had great impacts. And I think I wish that they would do the same in addiction because it's a, it's a missing, it's a missing piece. It's a missing piece. Mm. Anyway, that's my fucking rant over. Um, Oh, you're going to get me started on one. um, We're not going to. So tell me like when you got to the, (laughs) 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 so tell me, there, there she is. I was waiting. I was waiting for the laugh to come out. Um, so, so the the like drugs and alcohol got bad. You started seeing consequences. What was sort of the um, one or two big moments that you had like a light bulb moment, or maybe you didn't? But yeah, what what was the circumstances around you getting help and starting to, the process of changing? Yeah, look, I think the not working 
for me, I ended up, you know, I was a qualified hairdresser at this stage. I ended up working in my scene in the nightclubs. I ended up doing hair from home, which really supported my lifestyle um, of being able to use every day and use without consequences because all of my clients use drugs as well. And I'd be popping eckies on the weekends and giving haircuts and then getting, you know, charged, charging just in drugs. And that was enough for me because it can keep me going. So I think the more that I used and the bigger the benders got for me, like I think my last bender was a 10 day bender where I didn't sleep. And that was the thing that really pushed me over the edge. Like it was like I was in serious psychosis. I thought I was adopted. You know, all of my friends were conspiring against me. So were my family. It was really scary. The radio was talking to me. Everything was, was, it felt like my life was closing in on me. I felt, I didn't feel like I was going to die, but I felt like I needed to go and move to Perth or something and just kind of get away. And it was that, yeah, that kind of period of time where that 10 day bender led to this psych ward. And I got this really bad batch of drugs as well, which was loosed with something else. I think it was loosed with G. It was ice and G loosed together. And it was really, it just made me feel a bit sick and weird. And so it was like this, this great concoction to get me in a psych ward, basically. It was enough to get me there. And it yeah. was that moment yeah. that I could say to my mom, I rang my mom, who I hadn't talked to in a couple of uh, months because the last time I saw her was over my my head at a hospital bed after I'd blown out at, um, you know, Flinders Street Station after a festival. So I was able to just say, I'm fucked. Can, can you come and help me? And she took me to the hospital and I was involuntary. So it was kind of enough, yeah. enough of a stint. I think it was a seven-day stint there. That was enough for me to start to question what's going on. And then there was a bit of a series of events where my drug dealer's mum had a rehab that I was able to somehow – get there i just said i needed a break and i ended up there your drug dealer's mum had a rehab (laughs) like my drug dealer's mum sorry my drug dealer's mum's brother drug dealer's mum's brother that's it was i know right and look god knows where he is now but i was so lucky to to end up there and i've been able to stay clean since that day so that was enough for me that was that was a big enough rock bottom for me to know that I just don't want to keep living. That was painful enough for me. Like there's so much that I don't remember in my life. Um, mm. There was lots of blackout kind yep. of living. So that was enough. Yeah. And I think that's what people need to understand. Like when you're um, – I like correct me if you had a different experience, but, you know, you can have like psychotic symptoms and not be in psychosis. But when you yes. genuinely go into a psychosis, you completely black out. And it's crazy. you do all this weird shit when you completely black out and it's fully scary when you come out of it, you sort of hear what you've done. And then it's like really scary when, and I don't know if this happened to you, but this started happening to me. And again, was like the thing that pushed me was that I would like dip in and out of it. And then I would yeah. like come out of it, like doing weird shit. And then I would like be totally freaked out that I was doing weird stuff and then I'd like dip back into it again. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? It was, and, it, and it's really fucking scary. it feels scary. real. Yeah. It feels so real. And <laughs> when I first got clean, that lasted for six months and I was clean and still in psychosis. Like there was this, yeah. it was crazy. Like there would be, I'd, I'd go to meetings and people would be sharing about their wallets getting stolen and I'd be like, they're talking about me. And I'm like, I, I didn't steal her wallet, but my mind and my body fully believed that she was having a go at me. 
Like it was just this weird, like now that I'm so far removed from that space, I'm like, that is totally insane. If someone told me I'd stolen their wallet, I'd say, you know, what, you're, what are you talking about? Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, it's terrifying. I haven't, I haven't spoken about that for a while, but I remember, yeah, similar thing. Um, my, like, so maybe there was a little bit of psychosis in the, in the rehab, um, but more just psychotic symptoms. But yeah, like I remember being really stressed and really fucked up. Like all the women in the rehab were like, most of them were like these 50 year old alcoholic women um, that were trying to like recover and they couldn't give a fuck about me. But in my Mm. head, I was like, I was convinced that everybody was like talking about me in the rehab. And um, it it was like causing me so much internal stress. And at the time there was only three other um, young people. And I remember this one girl and it was, it was one of those like defining moments for me that sort of encouraged me to just kind of keep going. Uh, I was talking to her and and she used to use heroin. She didn't have any psychotic episodes or whatever. And I was like telling her that this shit was going on. And she goes, yeah, I can see that you're a bit stressed. And I said like, fuck, when do you think it's going to stop? And she, and she said, I remember she said to me, freaked me out. But it was actually randomly at that time what I needed to hear. She said, oh, like, I, I'm not trying to be mean to you, but maybe it'll never go away. And I was oh like, oh, my God. <laughs> I know? had the same and thing it, happen totally to me. <laughs> exactly the same thing. Tell us about it. Tell us about it. Well, well, exactly the same thing because I was, like, starting to talk about what was happening. But the trouble was I was actually talking to someone that has schizophrenia and it was probably not the right person to talk to. Because it was terrifying. Yeah. Like he actually experiences that. Like that's that's a bit of a different conversation. But psycho, like it it feels like he was relating to me. He's like, no, that that might never go away, Sheridan. And I was like, what the fuck am I gonna do with this brain on my shoulders? And I really think that's where the work began for me because I was like, well, I can't keep living with this thinking. You know, this thinking isn't working. Like, I can't live like this. I was in fetal position begging, like, some kind of, like, universe to just help me get out of the psychosis. So I think it was becoming aware of the psychosis or becoming aware of my thinking because the crazy part about it is I actually think self-obsession is almost like a little bit like psychosis. It's like – but it's just ten times more intense. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's – and it's funny, like, I don't know if it happens for everyone or if it's more just about like kind of the headspace that you're in that when those experiences happen, you can interpret them in the right, in the right way and use them like, like we did or whatever. I don't know. But it is funny when you talk to people about those different like defining moments that happen yeah. in those early stages of your journey that sort of like They're push pivotal. you along to, to, that's right. That's right. So so from there, so talk us, talk us a little bit through, I know they're all a little bit different, but you know, people are always really interested in like rehab as well. Like, so, yeah. so what did that look like for you? What did you do? How did you feel when you went there? Was it, yeah. was it challenging? Um, you know, as you said, that's where I met you as well. Yeah, you went, They took you to like recovery meetings and groups and stuff, but yeah, talk us through that a little bit. What did it look like? Yeah, look, rehab for me, this was a little bit of a residential kind of living center situation. Uh, it was deemed a rehab and it, it, it was, you know, we were, it was just what I needed. It was further enough from the city of Melbourne that made me feel like I was actually you know, just getting my life back together. I really needed to be removed. You know, as I mentioned a bit earlier, yeah. like I thought that I needed to go to Perth to be okay. Can you just hold on one second? Yeah, one yeah, second. sweet. No worries. 
Thank you. So, yeah, I just, so this was enough for me. It was a break. It was a circuit breaker. And I was so terrified. Like I, I, I deleted my Facebook. I deleted my Instagram. I deleted my phone. I had no phone for six months in recovery because I was just so afraid of like the consequences of my actions starting to keep up with me. So I would think I was fully prepared yeah. to change and I knew I needed to stop talking to the people that I used to use with. So rehab was great for that because it was like, you know, the 30 day no contact kind of situation, um, no phone. Like I was really able to just talk with people that were clean and cool-ish, cool-ish, you know. Um, not yeah. my idea of cool now, but still cool, you know, at the time. It's kind of what yeah. I needed. But ca char characters. Characters. Yeah. Characters that were clean. I was like, well, that's all I need because I'm quite the character and I just needed some inspiration, <laughs> I suppose. And I think it was connecting with yeah. other people in recovery that I needed to be around that to kind of change my mindset and begin to live another way. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, really interesting. It's funny that character character point um uh you know like because when i ref when i reflect on it now from where i am there was lots of stuff that helped me in hindsight there was lots of stuff that i wish happened differently but yeah but one of the things that one of the things that really kept me in the process was the characters particularly in the yeah. recovery meetings you know what i mean it was just sure. fucking colorful people you know um, yeah that made well you it were entertaining one of them as well <laughs> Uh, <laughs> don't, don't start <laughs> actually when i don't got start a phone telling stories about me when i got a phone you were like one of the first people i'd given my number to it like six months clean because i connected <laughs> with this youth meeting with young people in recovery and i remember like you were one of the first people it was like such a and i was six months clean there it's kind of crazy to reflect on yeah. this isn't it wild it is when you were when you were saying that you um when you came into the program, I, I was reflecting because I can remember I remember you coming into the recovery meetings, yeah, like from the very start and watching that youth meeting because I don't I don't know what it's like now. Like you know I, I don't go to recovery meetings, but but a couple of a few years ago when I was going, like the the recovery meetings had completely changed. So when we were first going, like ten years ago, don't get me wrong, there was still more you young people around than probably there was even before that but it was it wasn't a lot there wasn't there was many not people, a lot of young people um, that were, no that's right mm. and in melbourne they just started that young people's meeting because there wasn't a lot and they were trying to build it and there would be like 10 or 12 yeah. people that would sort of come oh old people would come and say yeah i'm here because i'm young at heart shit like that yeah. um <laughs> and like uh and and it was it like if i reflect on it it was it was a little bit tough in a way because yeah I'm always, I'm I don't know about you but I'm someone that always like looks up to people and I look yeah. I look at like stuff on the internet now the recovery meetings there's so many cool people it doesn't matter mm. what age you are but you know if you are young going through the process that you can connect with um yeah but it sounds like sounds like that the the connecting with people was like one of the big things for you right huge huge and look it's changed and it's evolved over the years and I've looked for different things and different meetings and different people and now you know I kind of like to stick with people that are a bit like you, Jack. Like I like to surround myself with the go-getters and 
you know, recovery meetings are for everyone, um, but it's, you know, it can be slim pickings in there sometimes to, to look for the hope and the inspiration. And, you know, I think I like, I really love being a part of my own community, you know, in the inner West in Melbourne. And like, that's really important to me to give back and be of service in other ways and in a big way. And not only in the community, but in my industry, you know, now I'm starting to mentor people from addiction back into the industry and hold space for them and teach them that you can be a hairdresser and you don't have to use to be creative. So it's like addiction is everywhere. Yep. It's not just in, you know, one kind of life. It's it's kind of everywhere. And that's kind of the scary part now because I'm faced, you know, being this woman that's clean in recovery in an industry that's riddled with addiction that wants to create some kind of movement or change or shift the culture and perspective of what's professional and what's not professional mm. so it's a tricky it's tricky it's like yeah. a evolution of being clean and staying clean of what is it that you want to do with your life and what are the changes that you want to see in in community it's it's fuck it's cool to hear you talk about that because uh yeah for, sheridan used to cut my hair when um <laughs> we were in, in recovery when i, I when did. i still had hair and she used to make me feel better she used to make me feel better about my receding hairline um, but like how <laughs> <laughs> how, how long how long did it take you to sort of feel like the ground was stable underneath you and and you could start to yeah kind of get back to to work especially yeah. especially like maybe after some of the embarrassment that it sounds like you had in yeah in, you know using drugs in your industry and stuff like that what when did that happen and what was that like yeah, that's a really great question. It was about six months clean that I really started to build my life. And I started building that life based on resentment because I was in a rehab and I needed to ask for things. And I would ask for things and they would kind of hold me back a little bit because it meant they needed to support yeah. me to get there. Like if I wanted to go and do a yoga class, they needed to drive me there. So I was like, fuck you, I'm going to go and get my license. So I got my license in recovery. Um, you know, I was driving unlicensed yeah. for all of those years and just stealing my dad's car and just thinking, you know, that's cool. Um, Jesus, it sounds so fucked up when I say that out loud. Like my stomach drops even saying that out loud. I'm like, oh, my God, I thought that was cool. And it was really not cool, you know. But then I got my license and yeah. I was able to drive into – into town and meet people like you, the go-getters that are like building a life and studying and young people that were starting to do stuff with their life. So my best friend as well that I've been with, um, been, she's still my best friend of like over 17 years. She'd opened up a salon in that six month time frame, and I just started working with her one day yeah. a week. So it was kind of like a really safe yeah. person to start to just rebuild my life with and she needed a hairdresser as well and I was a bloody good one coming from the premium salons um, in the city going to work yep. in suburbia and look after all the lovely ladies in Mill Park but that's what I needed I needed I didn't need the stress <laughs> and pressure of the premium salon experience um, I needed to actually build my yep. confidence because I thought that I was not good enough I thought that I wasn't worthy I thought that I was shit I thought that I needed to use drugs to actually be good at what I do, but it turns out I'm actually 10 times fucking better when I'm of clarity and have peace of mind and actually am yeah. conscious of what it is that I'm doing. So that was news to me. So it was kind of like just rebuilding and actually 
putting in the action. And I, I, if anyone says you don't work for the first year in your recovery, I think that's a crock of shit. I think that is no way to yeah. actually live and start to rebuild how to be a responsible member in community and in society. Like, you know, maybe that works for some, but it wasn't okay for me. I was so young. I needed to fill up that time and space with, with purposeful kind of tasks that made me feel better about who I was. A hundred percent. I love that you say that again. That's why I was keen to kind of chat to you. So, you know, cause, cause I, I agree. And I tell people that all the time and, and look, I understand, you know, there is gray with that as well. And if it's great coming off like an absolute lifetime, lifetime of addiction and sure. institutional, you know, I, I get that it can be hard to reintegrate, but even still, um, getting into life is very important. And, you know, I, I agree with you, you know, just even I remember like I, I was really annoyed at him at the time. Uh, I had this doctor in, in the rehab um, and he wouldn't write me the Centrelink certificate for longer than um, three months. Um, you know, like that, the, you know, the certificate that kind of says like, Oh, you don't have to work and you don't have to do the job seeker requirements and stuff like that. I was kind of, and at the time I was like, oh, you fucking old dog. Like, yeah. what the hell? But like, it was actually the best thing. And I, I still to this day remember him saying that to me was that he, he, he said to me like, Jack, you're a young guy. You've been through some shit, but you're capable. You're, yeah. you're not a dummy. Like you're, you can be a productive member of society and it's important that you do that. And that is when I reflect so on that, it, it's, it's, it's actually critical to the whole recovery process, isn't it? Because what you're trying to do is build self-worth. And it's not like you, you do have to do internal work, but you also need to get out there and prove to yourself, build confidence, re- get back into society and, and prove to yourself that, you know, you are worth it and you are, you are a you know, productive member and all yes. that stuff. So, yeah, it is cool to hear you say that. Yeah. And did it come back quickly for you? Like did you start feeling that stuff fast or, or did it take time? It's taken years and years and years <laughs> to get to where Not to I freak am anyone out. today. I'm sorry, everyone, but it's like, you know, I had moments and I, I had periods of like, you know, feeling a lot better about myself, a lot better about my craft. I was able to focus on a lot of education throughout my career as well and like hone in on the skill set that I felt a bit short of, which gave me a lot of confidence. But look, it's really only yeah. now that I'm starting to drop into my body and who I am and then being authentic. Like it's it's a new skill for me because my whole life I squashed who I was. I thought I had to be someone else. I had to lie to people about my age, my nationality, uh, where I've come from. Like I had to lie about everything. I had to make up stories to think that I, for you to think that I was cool and all of this stuff. So it took a long time to actually start to be who I was and start to speak my truth. So even now, when I have yeah. to speak up for myself, that is so hard. My stomach drops, but I do it anyway. And I have <laughs> to feel that feeling. I have to process that. I have to do a lot of work. I have, I have to have a lot of space. I have to have a lot of friends as well that can support me through that. I have to have a lot of guidance and a lot of mentors to just like process that feeling because they're big. And that's why I use because of this. I just never knew that I would be able to use my voice and be in my own power. So I think it's, you know, it's those little actions over time that end up building character. I'm like, I'm, I'm a woman in the world 
that I I am I am of good character. I act in goodwill, you know, like I have a set of principles that I live by that kind of guide me throughout my life. And because of that, like I feel pretty good about myself in the world. But if I'm using drugs on a daily basis and I'm doing shit things, like I'm going to feel pretty shit, you know. <laughs> but if I'm yeah. doing good in the world 100%. and I'm showing up and I'm saying what I'm going to do, and I'm answering the phone when I say I'm going to answer the phone and I do the things that I usually don't want to do, like I often feel a lot better because I'm getting outside of my comfort zone. And one thing about me is here's the bar and I'm often just kind of like bashing through that bar and then here's the next bar and then I'm bashing through that one and the next one because I want more. Yeah. I want more. I still have that yep. drive and that passion and that purpose. And like, I don't like being comfortable. For someone like me, I need to keep smashing through the bar and keep leveling up over and over and over again because I want to live a life that's fucking wild and crazy, but not using drugs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, it's very, um, it's very inspiring to hear. It gets me. It gets me like, ah, like I just want to go and do something, you know. Yeah. Um, so it, it's good. <laughs> The, the question the question I wanted to ask you with that, just to kind of get a bit deep, um, yeah. and I don't know if I don't know if it's something that you experience, but I relate to you with that, like that's how I feel, but yeah, one of the things that I've really been like hyper aware of in the last like two years really, just through fucking having challenging things going on in my life and managing it or trying to manage it all on the same at the same time um like do you so you know, yes, I agree. It's awesome to smash through that bar. But then do you also struggle with the sort of reverse of that? Or have you been able to kind of overcome it? You know, because I'm like that, but I struggle with like just being fucking too brutal on myself and having, yeah, unrelenting kind of expectations of what I should be able to do and how I should be able to manage. And it can sometimes have like the fucking reverse effect on me, you know, and I go Absolutely. down like a, like a sinking ship. Do yep. you still have that and, and how do you manage with it if you do? Yeah. Every month. Every month there's a breakdown. <laughs> like I'm not – like this isn't easy. Yep. This life is not an easy life to live and it's a lot to hold. And I think the thing about recovery is like, yeah, the, the more – it's all about living life in responsibilities and the bigger my life, the bigger the responsibilities. And my life just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and it's heavier and it's heavier and it's – so, yeah, probably – every. Every month I have a breakdown that's usually around the same thing. And for me, it is about doing too much. So right now at the moment, I'm like, yep. what are the balls that I can drop? And, you know, because yep. I because I'm yep. a doer and I'm obsessed with doing. Like I get a lot of gratification out of doing. So right, my challenge is being a little better, you know, just like actually – having a weekend off, not focusing on work, not focusing on expansion, having space to kind of process and get a bit creative, um, do a fucking yoga class more regularly than I'd like to because I need to get out of my head and kind of drop back into my body because it is the mind, body and soul thing and a lot of the time my mind is running the show but I need to kind of slow down, connect back, you know, prioritize my family. I've got a family in recovery now. I've got a little five-year-old. You know, I've got a beautiful fiancé. Yeah. Everything requires time and I need to be able to like yep. look at my life and look at the balance and look, I think balance is a bit of a crock of shit, but as long as we're looking at it on a monthly basis about like where am I overexerting, what do I need to do, what do I need to change, like often than not, like it's it's going to be okay. But yeah, it's a, it's a monthly breakdown, fetal position, like 
you know, bawling my eyes out kind of situation. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, but I've got people around me that support me through it and just love me through it. And I can be really honest about my struggles and that, you know, life is really, yeah. really, really, really hard some of the time. And especially yeah. being a leader in the world and being an employer as well. You know, I've got 10 in my team that I have to hold all of their stuff as well. So it's a lot, you know, and it's, it's something that's really important to me. It's yeah. something that I really want to do, but there's only so much capacity. So it's always about prioritizing what's important right now, what's not important. And yeah, kind of going from there. Yeah. So that, that's the thing I like about you and I must admit like it's, it's kind of the weird thing and what was almost weird about jumping on with you today because yeah, although we haven't sat down like this while we're still talking over the internet, like I haven't seen <laughs> you in three years. I feel yeah. like, I feel like I, it didn't feel like that long because I watch your like, you know, story videos on social media um, and you just, you know, you just like open about your process in going, yeah. going through everything. Um, and and it's and it's really cool because I think um you know like not that everybody has to do that but you know I, I just I, I find it helpful when people do do that because it it helps me to kind of go oh I'm not a fucking lunatic yeah <laughs> um, and that's the thing okay, we've, you know? we've got to role model that to people we've got to lead people with vulnerability and that life is really difficult and you know sadly it's probably going to be a little bit more difficult for people like me and you jack because we've come from complex trauma backgrounds that we're working on on a daily basis like we have to work through that stuff and that requires change and it requires action and change and action is really difficult to do and finding your voice is really difficult to do like it's an it's an art and it's a skill and it's a skill set that I'm having to yep. learn at 31 years old you know I'm learning how to human yep. now you know but how lucky are we that we've gotten clean at a, at a time where there's still an opportunity to keep you know relearning and, and growing into who we really are yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. so um I wanted to ask you what's pushed you at this point in time, I know like we did something little in the, in the past, but like in terms of talking about your story, but you had, you hadn't really done anything, you know, I've seen you out no. there on social media now um, and podcasts and stuff. And it's only just like within the last kind of year or couple of months or something, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. What's, what's pushed you to do that? You know, obviously you said that you're a mum, you're a, you're a business owner. Um, you know, you're, you're a passionate person. I don't know if you still, doing like a million CrossFit sessions and shit as well. Like there's a lot going on in your life. Like yes. what's, what's pushed you to kind of go, oh, I want to, I want to talk about my story now. And I want to, as you said, try and help others in these, in the beauty industry. Well, it's my industry, you know, my industry has really yeah. inspired me to use my story use my voice for the greater good because yep. I've now got a bit of a profile in my industry. I've got a platform and I'm wondering, you know, we're an award-winning salon. It's like, I'm like, we've got What's that. It, what do you call Mama, Mama West? Mama Is West. Is that what it's called again? Mama West. We're in the inner west yep. of Melbourne. Um, we are a multi-award-winning salon. You know, I've got really big goals and big ambitions. But the thing is, these awards, you know, give you a platform. And give you a profile and it's like what am i gonna do with that am i gonna just you know be the best like no i don't want to do that it's like what what message do i want to share and i think it's really hard for me to tell half the truth if someone talks to me about you know where i met my partner like i met him in rehab like 
did, that's really that's a really yeah. hard conversation. What am I like? I can't. What am I going to say? Like, make up a lie? Like, this is who I am. You either going to love me, or you're going to hate me. You know. So I'm like, I'm going to use my story for the greater good. Hopefully, to inspire someone. We've, we're we're actually launching a podcast at the moment called Straight Edge, the podcast, which is industry related for hair, beauty, barber, media. And we've all come from like a recovery background. And one of the um, hosts actually said something that's really powerful for me and really gave me the courage to come out with my story. And that is, I'm going to fuck this up. I always do this with quotes, but you'd rather, (laughs) (laughs) we'd rather recover loudly than let people die quietly. And I was like, oh my fucking God. Like I, people like I, 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 people actually say to me, I don't know how the fuck you do everything that you do. And the, I think it is because I am an addict and I do everything with 120%, but this time I do it for the greater good. Yep. So I think I now feel it's a really scary time for me, Jack, because I am being so open and I am being really honest and I am being really vulnerable and that has natural consequences and people make judgments all of the time, but what people don't understand about addiction is the reason why I used the way that I did is because I was in incredible amount of pain. I used drugs to numb myself from the pain and the trauma of my life, of my childhood, you know, being in a domestic violence relationship with a pedophile that literally tore me down, you know. I had no self-esteem by the time I was, um, you know, out of a relationship with that person. So it's like, I, you know, I think this is now, it's about recovering from that and owning who I am, you know, finding my voice, finding my power and just being true and hopefully inspiring someone else yeah. to, to just lean into who they are and help, help, you know, it's all about helping people, I think. And I love people. I love people. People's my yeah. next passion to, to hairdressing. And I just think the more conversations that we can be having like this in the open, you know, maybe, just maybe someone might decide to, you know, have a have a stab at, at what recovery might look like. A hundred percent. It's really cool. You, like you articulate it so well. And to be honest with you, I'm really glad that you're doing it, you know, not, not only because it's awesome for you and, and all that, but because you are good at articulating the process and yeah. I think, you know, getting people Thank excited you. and seeing the good stuff in um, changing your life. Because I must admit that was something that I battled with when I was trying to get, uh, you know, sober was that the, the, it, it, I found, I did find it difficult in a lot of ways. I found that I found it eventually, but I did find it difficult to find the sort of role models and the people out in front that, that were kind of encouraging to me and, and were able to, you know, hit me in the feels in a way that I yes. hadn't experienced before. So it's really cool. It's really cool that you're doing it. So um, tell me again, what are those places for everybody to find you? So so Mama West um, is your hair salon, but what's the podcast that you've started? Yeah, so we're calling our podcast Straight Edge the podcast. We are literally going to be launching it in the next couple of months. You can find us on the Instagram though at Straight Edge the podcast. And we're going to be having some pretty heavy conversations just like we're having, but getting a bit down and dirty with specific topics like codependency, sex and love addiction. You know, people can get drugs through Snapchat these days and like just bringing these conversations that everyone's having behind closed doors, but to the microphone phones into the light to just get 
you know, some thought-provoking kind of things happening. Yeah, awesome, mate. Awesome. Very cool, very cool. We'll put the links to all that in the description. But thanks so much for uh, coming on and, and giving us your time. You're a rock star and I'm excited to say, you know, what happens in the next couple of months as you launch the podcast and start talking about this stuff. You are the best, Jack. And I have to say, just for all the listeners out there, Jack was probably one of my first inspirations in recovery because <laughs> it was really clear he was going out there and he was going to do some big, big things. And, and look at us now, 10 years later, you know, it's just, it's just, I just, it's just honestly pinch me. I'm just like, is this actually happening right now? <laughs> it's weird. It's weird, isn't it? It's weird. Yeah. And, and the thing, the thing, like the thing that I always say to everyone about that um, is that I'm, I'm not just saying this, like, I really think it's kind of flipped. You know what I mean? And then yeah. <laughs> geez, yeah. this, this sounds fucking corny, but it's, it's flipped for me. Like, cause I remember you used to say that to me, but I feel like that about you now. Like I watch all the oh stuff you're doing God. and I'm like, oh. <laughs> and I feel like I'm trying to catch up to you. So um, yeah, keep doing what you're doing, mate. It's Thank fucking, you. it's really cool. All right. Cool. Bananas. All right. Peace everybody. Have a good day. Thank you.